Hey, you, you want to see something really scary? What's your favorite scary movie? I'm going to scare the hell out of you. What was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. They're coming to get you, Barbara. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. What's blood for, if not for shedding? Welcome to Fright Night. Welcome back to Jump Scare. I'm Betty. And I'm Shad. This week we're covering 1976's Carrie. The night of the senior prom, the Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White, the girl no one likes. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house her crazy mother. Help us any woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. You don't have a date to the prom next Friday. Would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. (laughs) Carrie. (laughs) A new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. This is our first episode in October, so we thought it was fun to cover the first Stephen King movie that was ever released. This is also his first novel. Uh, a lot of firsts for Stephen King on this one. <laughs> Shad is a constant reader that is a Stephen King fan. Yes. And he has read a lot of, probably almost all of Stephen King's I novellas, novels. read everything except for the most recent one. Uh... And I haven't read Dolores, not Dolores Claiborne, um, Rose Matter, Insomnia, and Eyes of the Dragon are the only three that I haven't read. So, Eyes of the Dragon being his best novel that he ever came <laughs> out with. Uh, my personal favorite that I read when I was in college. Uh, they should make that into a movie. This, I'm surprised they haven't. Yeah. This film is full of, well, to us, <laughs> recognizable actors and yeah. actresses. Well, at the time, some of them were still. Uh, John Travolta, of course, is in this. And he uh, was pretty recognizable because he was on Welcome Back, Cotter. But we know him best from The Devil's Reign. 
his greatest role. Oh my god. <laughs> um, we have. I mean, there's just so many. Nancy Allen, William Cat, Amy Irving, Piper oh, Laurie. You mean Nancy Allen, RoboCop's partner, and William Cat, owner of the house and house, and also the greatest American hero. The greatest the American hero. Greatest. You heard me. Yeah, he's the greatest American hero. Okay, he was major. Sissy Spacek, um, PJ Souls. I mean, the list goes on and on. And my personal favorite that's in this cast is Edie McClurg, who you may remember from the Elvira movie as the busybody church lady that did wanted no part of Elvira. She was also on that show uh, Valerie, where she played the nosy next door neighbor, and she played Herb Tarlick's wife on WKRP in Cincinnati. Everything always comes back to WKRP. That's my theory. Is that is that your theory? No, I just like to say that because we've, we've covered a lot of things that have had a relationship to WKRP somehow. Well, <laughs> um, this is probably my favorite Stephen King uh, movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I would say this is my favorite. Brian De Palma directed this. Let's just... Uh, if if you do not know who this director is, or you need to get yourself informed ASAP. Yeah, go out and watch Raising Cain immediately, or uh, Blowout, or The Untouchables. Fantastic, fantastic, and fantastic. Yep. Um, this opening scene with the shower. Yeah, this has traumatized a lot of people. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's one of those... This I, I could see where this movie... This is a movie... It's definitely a sign of the times. And it's just one of those things like... I, I can't... I can't... You know, obviously, I was not even alive at this time. Um, so I can't even, like, phantom... What the reaction was to this when people first saw it? I mean, did they riot in the streets? Because this was very risque for, <laughs> for like a mainstream like a film that was going to be out there it wasn't going to be in like CD like drive-in you know what I mean yeah it was a pretty it was actually in a lot of mainstream theaters from what I understand uh, because you know they they just weren't as they were more willing to take chances on movies then I think than they are now because you gotta remember this was a pretty low budget it had a budget of under 2 million and they ended up making like thir- almost 34 million dollars off this movie so they had to have it out everywhere to pull in that kind of money. So it was playing in a lot of places. And I'm sure it was, like you said, pretty scandalous. Because I do remember my family talking about this movie. And one of those things of like, oh my god, this is just the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. How could they do such a thing in a movie? They'll just put anything on the screen now. Well, said yeah. the busybodies in my family. Because think about it. It's 1976, okay? So the world has not seen... has Halloween has not come up yet, right? We haven't had uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, we had. It was we, 74. 74, okay. So we've had Texas Chainsaw Massacre, fine. But even in that, I mean, this movie has mad nudity. I mean, the nudity is just like... I think the nudity probably makes more people more uncomfortable than the violence, to be honest. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about the violence, sir. I was just thinking about the nudity, the blasphemous, like the the, religious... Oh, the the constant talk at the beginning about the menstruation and all the blood. The menstruation? I mean, 
you, I didn't even, it never occurred to me that, and, and when I'm going to go back into like, I know in the 50s and 60s and the 70s, there was either no commercials regarding a woman's like time of the month or when there were commercials, they were very, um, sen- I want to say censored, but like someone made a point to show like, um, you know how they tapped the blue liquid on the pad yeah. to show the absorbency. Yeah. It never occurred to me. And then one, the other thing is like, why would someone want to see a commercial where someone's putting like fake blood on a on a, di- on a not a diaper? I'm sorry, <laughs> on a pad. But that they had to go to those kind of links to show like they weren't going to show blood. Well, that's well, even stupid things like you wouldn't think. The whole thing about don't squeeze the Charmin came because they couldn't show the toilet paper outside of the package because it was considered too obscene. See, that's what I'm talking about. So then this movie comes along and I'm surprised that people's heads didn't fucking explode like in that episode of Dave Chappelle when yeah. there was a reveal. Well, I'm sure it freaked out a few people. Like I said, the, all the busybodies in my family. But of course, my family was very uptight about this sort of thing. So they were not going to enjoy this movie. You got to remember too, that you know, this movie came out in 1976 this is only two years after women were allowed to have their own checking account when they weren't married. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, so you, this is a law that, like, you think you think about that kind of thing, and you think, oh, that kind of stuff was abolished in the 50s. No. It was still around in the 70s. So to have a movie where there's that much talk about, like, women's problems and issues, and the woman is, you know, at the end, we all know by now at the end, She's out there burning shit down everywhere. It had to be pretty radical, you know? It is. But then at the same time, this is the one where Stephen King didn't remember writing. Is this his novel? No, he remembers writing this one. Oh, okay. This one he was working at a... Yes, I'm a Stephen King nerd. He was writing this one while he was working at a laundry, which is where he got the idea for a lot of his stories that seem to take place in or around laundries, like The Mangler, which is amazing. Or Graveyard Shift, which is also good. The movie's not great, but the Brad Dorf is great in that movie. Brad Dorf is great in every movie. But yeah, and uh, he also wrote the whole character of working in the laundry into one called the Sun Dog. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of Stephen King things that take place in the laundry because he worked on nights at the laundry after he taught all day long in school. Yeah, but did he come across like some period panties? Like what? This is the this is the thing. A man is writing about a teenager coming into womanhood, okay? And not only is this is not just any regular teenager, this is someone that has some kind of, you know, um latent power, you know, this that is hasn't they, come. They cut out of the movie is in the book that when she's young, Carrie sees like a woman sunbathing. And uh, the mom's pulling her back in, saying, you can't be seeing this kind of filth. Women out there exposing their bodies, being whores. Pulls her back inside. And Carrie's so upset that she caused, using her powers, she causes rocks to rain down on the neighborhood and smash houses and cars, causing a lot of damage. Which they used that again in uh, his mini TV miniseries that he wrote called Rose Red. He reuses that in Rose Red. Since it never showed up in any of the novelization or the movie versions of Carrie... They have it all happen in Rose Red. Yeah. Well, my thought is this. So, like I said, this is a man writing about this girl that has this power. She's come into her womanhood. This is seen to be a sin with her mother because she's, of course, of, you know, these 
zealous. The mom says, once the blood comes, they'll smell it and all the dogs will come. Yeah. They'll smell it and start sniffing around. So, you know, and that is the curse that because, you know, the apple, you know, Eve took a bite of the apple, that that was going to... All these bad things have happened forever. All the, Yeah, the women are not going to feel pain in childbirth. Or they didn't before. They... Well, no, because it was paradise, and yeah. they didn't have any... There was no pain anywhere. It was paradise. Everyone was happy, or, you know, or Adam and Eve are happy, or whatever. And once, you know, she gained that knowledge, it just... And that's the... Isn't that, isn't that jacked up? Like, oh, yeah, once the woman gained knowledge, and that's it. She ruined the whole, like, earth, and all the human beings that they came after yeah, had a terrible there's no, life. Oh, there's no sexism there, is there? But my thing, going back to Stephen King, so... <clears throat> excuse me. As a woman, as a woman, and I've never really thought about this until literally sitting right across from you thinking about this. He's writing about this, but at the same time, how, like, how are you as a woman not supposed to feel some kind of way about it? Because this, you know, this is the whole stigma with women not being, you know, able to be president or have any positions of power because they're too emotional, they're too, you know, they're they're too crazed. Their emotions drive everything. And then this girl gets her period. And then, because we don't, the movie doesn't, like you say, it's like, like the novel where they show that she's had this power since, you know, she was born. You know, she's always had this in her. You get the feeling that from the movie, she got this period and now she has this power. So they're yeah. like hand in hand and then she, she fucking loses it. she a woman, it. then she got the powers. Yeah, she loses it and she can't control her emotions because that's the way women are. They're just gonna burn everything down with their craziness and their period. You know, and it's just like, fuck you, Stephen King. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> okay? How much, how many period panties did he have to fucking clean? Because... I want to know because I know there was a time frame and maybe even still today that, you know, there was like professional laundry services within the laundromat where you would just leave your clothes there and they would just wash them for you. He so, worked at like it was like a large industrial laundry and he talks about, I think it's on the in writing book, he talks about them bringing like tablecloths and stuff from uh, like seafood restaurants and having like chunks of fish and crab in it that were like infested with bugs. That's disgusting. And like uh, they had to just like they were bleaching all this stuff and then like you know they would get you know stuff from hotels that of course was disgusting. You can imagine all the stuff from hotels. There were accidents in the laundry where people got hurt and that kind of thing. Um, he had said a lot of times that Carrie was based off of two girls like two different girls he went to high school with where. It was kind of an amalgam of both of them. And that the character of her mom and some of the other characters in the book were based off people he worked with at the laundry. So I get the feeling probably the crazy religious lady is someone, because he's visited her a few times in the mist. Oh, in the, the mist. Carry, yeah. Some other things. So I get the feeling he really did not enjoy working with the crazy religious lady. <laughs> yeah, well, she shows up so much. But then again, she is out there, isn't she? Yes, unfortunately. Crazy religious Karen is out there. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. And how crazy is it that, you know, yeah, Stephen King is pretty well set for life now, but this was back at a time when, you know, he was still teaching, still working at the laundry. He got $2,500 for the movie rights to carry. 
And he thought that was great because they were going to actually adapt something of his into a movie. I mean, shit, $2,500, let's say 1975, because the movie came out in 76, yeah. right? Or 1974, however, whenever they gave this money to him in the 70s. Yeah. That was a shit ton of money because technically, what was the pay like he per was hour? $1.60 an hour working at the laundry. Yeah, I can't even. So even if he worked 40 hours a week, he was going to make like 60 bucks, a week, you know, 50, 60 bucks a week at the laundry. I can't even phantom. Like, that wasn't that long ago, you yeah. know? It's like over 40 years. And in 40 years, you're making a buck, you know, and change. And you're getting paid, you know, like you said, that much a week. And you were able to buy you know a house bread you know all this stuff with that amount of money obviously not the 50 dollars for a house but you know what i mean everything was so obviously things cost less but in 40 years holy moly you can't even make 16 dollars an hour now you're barely scraping by if you have kids forget about it like it's tough times and it's crazy to think like oh people survived with, you know, but then again, like, bread was, what, like, fucking 10 cents? Yeah, it's probably a quarter of a loaf or whatever. Gas was, like, 25 cents a gallon. You know, it's just, like, wow. I, I can't, like, I can't even. It just blows my mind. It's, it, you would think that that was, like, a hundred years away, you know? Yeah, like, and now for the, uh... A hundred years ago, for I like mean. The, I think it was the paperback rights to carry. He got $400,000, which he ended up, after, you know, the agents and everything, he ended up getting $200,000. Which I think they said would be the equivalent of like two million today. So as soon as he got that money, that was the last day he taught high school or worked at the laundry. He's like, "That's it. I'm a full time writer now. I do not work these other jobs." Because that was the day he had the money to buy a house, uh, you know, to pay off their bills, all that kind of stuff. And it's crazy to think that yeah, two hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, but like that set him up. Like he was like, "Yep, I'm quitting. I can do all this now. We're good." Yeah. <laughs> The bullying in the movie, also obviously a trigger for many. Um, it is pretty intense of how much they bullied that girl. And I'm not saying that they deserved to die, because no one deserves to die. Um, uh, you know, under the circumstances. Bullying is a theme in a lot of Stephen King's novels, so I get the feeling he underwent a lot of that. Yeah, I could see how that could have been a thing for him. It is actually a theme in a lot of his a lot of his novels. Um, you know, seeing it on screen. I mean, the Palma does a great. He's he captures. I mean, I didn't read the book like you did. So, but you're saying it's a pretty close adaptation for there's the things, most part. For the most part, there's a few things here and there, and like the ending of the book is way more violent than the movie. Like, she ends up burning down most of the town in the book. I literally think they just didn't do that because it would have cost too much money. That was all it was. They, they and literally they literally said, would have had to... I mean, this is there's no CGI, so they would have had to have burned down. Yeah, anything they did back then, they had to burn it down for the ground. Okay, I looked it up. Bread was a dollar a loaf back then. A dollar? Yeah. Wow. My gluten-free bed is like seven bucks. So... Yeah. <laughs> Eggs were 69 cents a dozen. Wow. Yeah, so $200,000 went a long ways back then. Hell yeah, $200,000. You could have bought a freaking, uh, buy an acre and land a house with a car. Looking at different <laughs> prices, it said that a in this particular area where it was, a four-bedroom house on four acres was $69,000. Shit. So he could, depending on where he was in Maine, since he you know was going to stay in that area, 
he could have probably brought a mansion in that place for $200,000. Heck yeah, because no one wants to live in Maine. It is cold. It is too damn cold in Maine. It yeah, is no too you. cold. That's why a lot of his movies are set in Maine, because people would go crazy if you lived in Maine. <laughs> if you should be living in the damn cold, you'd be that damn crazy, too. <laughs> That's where all the monsters go, because they're like, yeah, we don't got a lot of people that are going to be against us, and um, we could just take out a whole town, and no one's going to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one don't know for a week. It's like fucking uh, 30 days a night where they're like, everything like, by the time anybody figures out what's going on, we'll be out of here. <laughs> so, yeah. All the actresses do a great job. I mean, I feel, and I just love that they're just so, like, watching the, the movie. It's just like, oh, there she is. Oh, there's that, you know, you're just pinpointing, like, everyone that you know from all these other movies that they've done after, you know, the facts. And they all pretty much went on to, you know, go in and do things. Yeah. Obviously, the most successful would be both Sissy Spacek and um, John Travolta. Yeah. Um, you know, the other ones kind of like just stayed into the made-for-TV movies and then did some movies here and Kids there, obviously. Kind of stuff. But um, them being the most successful. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, of course, I apologize. Uh, Piper Laurie also. <laughs> went to have a successful career. She already had been in multi multiple movies before this movie. Yeah, she'd been retired for a while, then came back out of retirement for this movie. Yeah, she's a character um, that has had a lot of things we were not going to mention in this podcast, but she's a very interesting person. Yeah. Carrie's one of those movies that just... A lot of Stephen King stuff has become so ingrained into the culture... That even people who don't read horror and don't watch horror movies know all about Carrie. They know the whole plot of the movie. They know the scene at the beginning. They know that because it's just one of those things. It's so prevalent for everybody talks about. It's like everyone knows Norman Bates. Yeah. Everybody knows Norman Bates is psych and psycho. They know that he's the mom. They know he's doing all this. Even if they haven't seen the movie, they know all about it. They also, I mean, this movie has already been redone twice. They had a 90s, uh, The Rage. The 90s did a sequel to it, and then they did a TV miniseries in the early 2000s, and then they remade it about 10 years ago with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. So I think it was Angela Bettis was in the one that uh, Brian Fuller did. He's the one that did Hannibal and all that. Worked on Star Trek and a lot of different things, so... His version was pretty much the same, except uh, they were using it as a backdoor for a pilot with Carrie, where it was going to be like Carrie running around like the fucking Hulk, going around to different towns, solving problems. But I guess they had a hard time getting behind the fact that, you know, she murdered all the people in the gym. It's funny <laughs> to me how um, this sequel to... Oh, not sequel, I'm so sorry. Carrie, the 90s version the lead uh, actress and that's Emily Burgle and she <laughs> she was well no it is a sequel because yeah. it is to Carrie 2 yeah The Rage um 1999 she went on to be on Gilmore Girls for like two years um as Francine and so when I'm watching the Gilmore Girls obviously you know my 90 billionth time of watching the Gilmore Girls every time that this actress comes on screen all I'm thinking is like is she gonna like start going down the hall and, like, killing people because I just see her as Carrie. That movie was so weird, too, because they're like, oh, hey, here's a long-lost relative of Carrie's that has these powers, too. 
And, oh, the same thing's going to happen to her. She's going to get embarrassed at prom. and I, Well, I don't think it was a prom. I think it was a party there. But she's going to get embarrassed at a party. Yeah, it was at the party. Yeah, she's going to get embarrassed at a party and murder everyone. You have done something a little different with it, you would think. Yeah, well, that film was originally supposed to be titled The Curse, and it wasn't going to be a Carrie sequel. Um, so I think it's one of those where... It started one way, and hey, then there the were to carry. Let's just make it a carry sequel. Exactly. They already wrote everything, and they just slapped Carrie's name on it <laughs> because it is strange. Like, so how could she be a relative if we know that Margaret White? She, I mean, I, well, obviously the father left because he left the family to be with another woman. So. And I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie since it came out in the theater in 1999. So maybe, obviously, she has to be from that side of the family. Like, the dad had to have yeah. continued on with some chick. And then they had a kid. And then that kid had a kid. Because it's, 19, it's 1976 to 1999. So yeah. there has to be some, like... Because it's not coming from Margaret White. I just always thought that she was just, like, a loner. Like, she didn't have any family. You know? Um... So, yeah, it was just a weird... I don't understand why they did it. And then the whole thing where she got, like, vines or whatever it is is, yeah. like, growing over like, her body. It's the 90s. Let's, make the, let's have some, like, tribal-looking tattoos pop up all over her. That'll make her look cool and menacing. Yeah, yeah. it's her younger half-sister. Ah, okay. So, yeah, it's just... I, I don't know why they did that, but... And like I said, the Brian Fuller one was kind of the same thing. Like, oh, let's remake Carrie. But like I said, they gave it a different ending. Carrie survives and moves to Florida at the end of it. Of course she it. does. Yeah, because, you know, she'd be right at home down here. But they were kind of like I said, they were trying to do a backdoor pilot with that for a TV show where it would be kind of like the Incredible Hulk and the Fugitive where Carrie was going to be on the run, going from town to town, running into problems, and then helping people out with telekinesis. I kind of want to see that. I don't want to see that. I want, and I want her to run into other Stephen King characters as she goes in there. Like, oh, I just, I'm surprised they didn't do that on Castle Rock, to be honest. Oh, Carrie just roams into town, and look at that. There's the guy from the Dead Zone, and there's all these different ones, you know. Yeah, that Castle Rock show, not to digress from Carrie, but it had so much hopes, and then I. Every season we started watching it, hopefully, and then our hopes slowly crashed it was like watching a plane crash in slow motion i already went in uh, I, I didn't go in with you know i was already negatively like thinking this is gonna suck i just i did have i had small hopes but you know what's his face was attached and i do not like him at all so i was just like that's not gonna be your boy jj abrams yeah jj abrams is attached it's gonna be a shit show because jj abrams doesn't produce anything good he only has writers they choose great writers and those writers have gone on to do a fantastic shows but what is jj abrams doing right now he's just sleeping on that star wars money that he didn't even deserve yeah well jj abrams is one of those people that he comes up with a decent pilot for the shows and that and then He's kind of got the Gene Roddenberry thing going. We're like, oh, he came up with a decent plot and characters and everything. And then I'd say he abandons it because he leaves every, everything he yeah, creates. Yeah, and it's better when he leaves, to be quite honest. That's very true. The same way as Gene Roddenberry. The best episodes of Star Trek are not written by Gene Roddenberry. None of the ones that people love and talk about as their favorites you hear. You don't often hear him say, oh, this one was written by Gene Roddenberry and it was my favorite. No, that doesn't happen very often. So... 
there are there you know you feel bad for the teacher because she's really desperately there's sometimes the gym teacher yeah the gym teacher there's the way that he filmed the Palma filmed it it's like either she was that girl in high school I can never pinpoint and maybe it's just me was she that girl in high school who was the popular girl that would have done the same thing to Carrie? I think there is a line in the movie where she says like, "Yeah, she says I I felt the same way they did when they were when I would see this. I wanted to slap her and make fun of her too and be like, what is wrong with you? How do you not know what's happening to you when you get your period for the first time? You're 17 years old." Yeah, but at the same time it's like, first of all, that's a way late period, okay? Yeah. For to get it at 17, man. That would have been great if I got it when I was 17, as opposed to when I got it when I was like, you know, pushing 11. I mean, 12. That's way too early for me. But, um, yeah, she should have known. But then again, like, if her mom took her out of the health class, like, because you at that time, you know, I mean, I remember very vividly that they would send the letter home. Like, we're going to be having health class or we're going to be talking about these things. Do you want to be removed out of the class? And your parent would have to, like, sign the okay you could be in the class or no, they did not want you to participate. I'm sure her, Carrie's mom did not allow her Of to... course she did. But then again, like, what an injustice. So you thought just because your daughter really believed in God and you prayed on glass every day that she wasn't going to get her period? That's just so illogical and yep. insane. Like, who thinks like that? That's just not... I mean... I guess, obviously, the same person that doesn't think, like, you know, the Big Bang Theory. There's just things like, oh, yeah, God just created all this, and then, boom, it just happened. Like, there's no science involved. Science? Uh, what's that? The devil's work. Like, what? Yeah, I had Satan in here tempting you with his science and math and <laughs> chemistries. Piper Laurie does a fantastic job as the overzealous, religious, crazy mom. Um, oh, yeah. I the woman should have won an Oscar for that performance because man it was amazing like and you just feel so bad for Carrie because you know she you, she's acting like Carrie's you know wearing go-go boots and you know parading around town showing her twat everywhere and this is a homely girl with the hair in her face because she's not trying to attract attention you know, she's covering up her body. She's just a loner, just in her books, nose in the books, just keeping, you know, trying to keep off the radar from the bullies who bully her every single little thing. It's like you can't even blink without being bullied with these girls. Yeah. Um, and they're fucking relentless. And they're cold-blooded as hell because, man, um, what's her face? Alan? Woo! She. Oh yeah, Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen. She's a psycho bitch in this movie. She's fucking crazy, and you and it's like, what triggered her to be so damn crazy? I mean, I know the whole prom thing, so you know they do that. Her thing is like she just. We really haven't actually talked about a lot of the plot of the movie. We're just everybody just knows what this is about at this point. (laughs) So uh, we'll we'll go over it. So okay, you have uh, high schoolers. They At uh, Bates High School, by the way. Bates High School. They were making references in this back before it was a cool thing to do. You have um, Carrie White, who's a teenage girl in Bates High School. She comes into her period and in she gym gets class, in, in gym class in the shower. Class in the shower. Everyone's naked. Um, obviously, they're in the shower, and she gets tampons thrown at her, belittled, her hair pulled, like literally put down to the ground. 
Um, so this girl gets bullied. She has an over, overzealous religious mom. And she finds the Carrie White, you know, she develops this telekinesis. Uh, she has telekinetic powers. And, you know, because she's a bookworm, she reads up on it. And she decides to use her powers against her mom. Um, so she, um, you know, can go to the prom because she was asked to go to the prom. This is not Bye. a synopsis. The greatest just, American hero. We're just going. And then, <laughs> you know, the prank... A prank goes wrong and people die. The prank where they <laughs> dump blood all over her. Which is what gets me. This is some hardcore shit right here. They're like, we're not just going to go dump paint on her. Which would have been fine. It would have done the same thing. It would have been gross and scared her and all that. We're going to go to the stockyards and we're going to kill a pig with a sledgehammer. And then put its blood... Like, I just always assumed before I watched the movie when I heard about this stuff that... They just went to the slaughterhouse and just stole, like, I'm sure there's pig blood sitting around there. that They just stole it. But no, they kill the pig, beat it to death with a sledgehammer, put his blood in a bucket and take it back with them. That's some hardcore shit right there. Yeah, because, I mean, to reference one of my favorite 80s films, um, My Best Friend is a Vampire, he just goes to the butcher and gets a quart of blood. Like, they could have just gotten that from the butcher. They didn't have to go the extra mile to go yeah. to the slaughterhouse, like you said, and kill this pig. It's way too much. Well, you also see, though, that Nancy Allen, when she's dating John Travolta, that, like, when she says something wrong, he just slaps her in the face. He slaps her several times in their relationship. So <clears throat> she's getting abused in her life. So she's just turning around, taking out the abuse she gets in her life on other people. Yes, this is true. But I, I, and unfortunately, please do not comment on me. But like I said earlier, this is a movie of its time. So women were getting slapped all around. And also, not saying she deserved to get slapped, but she was a bitch to him. So it went both ways. He was getting the verbal psychological abuse from her and he was giving her the physical abuse so they were both no one was innocent in this relationship no um so i will just say that i'm gonna sum up i'm gonna read the synopsis because that synopsis (laughs) was actually not a synopsis it was just a whole damn movie uh, withdrawn and sensitive teen Carrie White faces taunting from classmates at school and abuse from her fanatically pious mother at home. When strange occurrences start happening around Carrie, she begins to suspect she has supernatural powers. Invited to the prom by Tommy Ross, Carrie tries to let her guard down, but things eventually take a dark and violent turn. Oh, bong, yeah, bong, they do. Bong. How bad did this is? This, these are the things in the movie that don't all make sense to me. How could you not smell that blood from a mile away? Now, mind you, yes, fine. It was hovering in a can above the whatever in the school. Yeah. They did it the day of the prom. So, but it sat there for hours, okay? To my knowledge, air, central air was not a thing in the 70s. So there was was. probably central air. Was there in the cafeteria? Because that's a cafeteria, right? It was a gym. They might have had it in the gym for when they do uh, ball games for people to come in and watch that kind of stuff, like basketball games and stuff. They might have had it for that. I guess. The other thing, and I think when I asked my sister about this, 
she's like, no, this never, she never noticed this because she just took it with a grain of salt. But when the gym teacher finds out and she has both Tom, um, Tommy and, um, Amy Irving, I forgot her name in the damn movie. When she has both of them and she's like asking them like, what's going on? Why did I hear that Carrie's going to, you ask Carrie to the prom? Like, what are you guys hiding? Like, what are you up to? Whatever. In comes PJ Souls and she hears a little bit of that conversation, but then she leaves. She doesn't hear an outcome because there's no outcome yet. She doesn't know that Carrie is been, is going to the prom. She may have overheard that he asked her, but she doesn't know definitely that she's going to the prom. Then you have William Cat go to Carrie's house after Carrie's refused him. He goes to Carrie's house, knocks on the door, and he asks her. The same night, while that's happening, John Travolta and Carrie Allen are off killing the pig and getting the Nancy blood. Allen. Nancy Allen. Where is it, Carrie Allen? Yeah. Nancy Allen. How do they know that Carrie's going to the prom? It was already said early in the film that people could not go to the prom by themselves. Also, why did they assume Carrie was going to the prom? They knew no one asked Carrie or no one was going to ask Carrie because she was a loser. I don't remember if they explained it in the book or not. It's been a while since I read it. But I feel this is one of those things in the movie that was probably a deleted scene. Yeah, and then, because it's the same night, did... So while Will and Kat is asking her, they're doing this. They, there's no cell phone. There's no beeper. There's no social media. They don't know. They didn't do a heat. Um, <laughs> Will and Kat didn't do a, a prom reveal, proposal. whatever, proposal. Yeah, proposal, promposal, whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> he didn't do any of that. So how do they know that she, were, you know, he was relentless and she was just trying to get him out the door because mom was, you know, in the living room kept calling her. And she didn't want her mom to take notice that there was a boy at the door because that would have freaking broken hell out. So she just says yes to get rid of him. He doesn't go back and, you know, Facebook, oh, yeah, Carrie White said yes. There's no way for them to know that she said yes. So I don't know how they were like, okay, we're going to get this blood. And they've created this whole plan and already, like, you were just assuming like they, they just didn't know that she was going to go to the prom at all they had no idea at that point that she was going or that you know maybe they thought that you know uh pj souls went back and said oh yeah overheard you know so and so when he asked her to the prom but maybe they had that bit of information because that's very plausible because she did walk in in the conversation but there was no outcome at that time. So that's the part of the movie that's just like, hmm, okay. Am I the only one that noticed this? Like, I caught on to it. And you know what's wild? I've seen this film so many times. But I, like my sister, I took it with a grain of salt. Because it's just like, you, you just got... figure out that they, they just knew about it somehow. Yeah, it just happened off screen somehow. Yeah, somehow they figured it out. It's probably, like I said, a deleted scene. I don't have any DVDs of this. I watched this online. So there's probably a deleted scene in one of the DVDs that explains it. You know, it's one of those things that, like, everybody just takes for granted how they knew about it, you know? Yeah. It's like the things in movies where they have a character having a flashback, but that person was asleep when it happened. So you're like, you were asleep when this happened, so how did you know about it? Ah, yes, the old sleeping flashback. <laughs> so let's talk about this dress, because this irks me every Halloween. You always see the girl. She wants to be Carrie, okay? Now, whatever. Fine. Be Carrie. 
But the thing with Carrie is everyone thinks that she's wearing a white dress. She's not wearing a white dress. Let me just say this out there for everyone, cosplayer slash whatever. I get it. It's hard to find like light pink fucking satin dress. That's not a thing. But even you said that even within the movie, that in the novel itself, her dress is like what, red velvet? Yeah, her dress is red velvet in there. Which they kind of... You can tell that that was something they did in the movie originally, but they realized dumping blood on a red velvet dress doesn't look all that great. But there's still a line in there where she said, of course it's, mom says something like, of course it's red or something like that. Which that dress is obviously not red. It's more of like a light pink than anything else. Yeah, it's peach colored. Okay. <laughs> so you look like you were out of it there for a second. No, I'm just giving you the dead eyes like, it's peach colored. Yeah, it's... Light pink, peach. It's definitely not red, and it's definitely not white. So stop coming out here with these white negligees because it's not a white dress. Now, I understand, obviously, once you pour all the blood on it, does it matter? As long as it's something that's very thin, because the dress is very thin. I mean, the girl was barely wearing anything. It's. I'm glad that she took a shawl with her because she just needed to wrap that shawl really tightly around her. She's not wearing a bra. Was she wearing panties? She was just basically naked. I love the transition. She's like, you know what? I have telekinetic powers now. So I went from wearing like fucking wool sweaters in the summertime with my long, like my knee high stockings and my you know penny loafers with the real pennies in them and you know my long skirt to wearing nothing to the prom i'm just here and i'm just once a, the telekinesis sets in you don't have to take shit from your mom anymore so you can dress <laughs> however you want if like, mom doesn't like it you just telekinetically punch her in the face and that's the end of that discussion she's like i am free from the shackles of these clothes yeah that's and how you get slapped upside the face yeah and, you know, it's such a shame because there is completely a misunderstanding when she's on that stage and they pour the blood on her. <sighs> and then she just loses it, dude. Like, she's... Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, PJ Souls, she was totally laughing at her because she a bitch. And she knew that was going to happen. But no one else was laughing. They were just all just staring at her in like a holy shit like sense. She had that th- voice in her head from her mom. They're all going to laugh at you. Yep. She just had that in there from her mom. Creepy and Carrie. Was like, creepy Carrie. It was like, oh, yep. Mom was right. They're doing this. They're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. Because it's, it. <laughs> you know, the mom once again messed things up. Damn moms. They're yeah. crazy, crazy things they put in the kids' heads. Yeah, that really fucked her up. And yeah, and then she saw everyone laughing. And she was like, oh, you're going to laugh at me? This is the last thing you're ever going to fucking do in your life. She kills everybody. Yeah. The fact that she leaves unscathed, like, okay, fine. She can control these things or whatever. But, like, to, like, come out of the flames, like, with no burns. She can't control the flames once they're flaming. Come on. Maybe she can. Maybe she had pyrokinesis, too. We didn't find all the limits of her powers. It's a dry I, run for a fire starter too. I'm oh yeah, that's right. He has another. Yeah, what's up with that? That's interesting. Another little girl. Hey, at least she wasn't coming into her period. She was just a little girl. Yeah, it's another one that they remade the hell out of and sequelized. They did a sequel to that in the I think in the late '90s, early 2000s. Firestarter Rekindled, which again 
They were trying to make that into a TV series. I think that's the girl from um, the movie. Queen of the Damned. Yeah, Queen of the Damned. Yeah, same one. Love that. And then they remade that just recently. And I saw most of that remake of Firestarter. And it's it's just nothing to write home about. No. It's the same movie with just a few changes here and there. But it's they really didn't change it that much or do anything interesting with it. It was just kind of a like, hey, let's just redo it almost beat for beat, you know? I know that everyone is really upset with Drew Barrymore right now. Um, and, you know, deservedly so. But in that movie, like, I haven't seen that movie in ages because it breaks my fucking heart. I can't see the movie. I'm devastated because Charlie and her dad, like, I can't. I can't even talk about it. It's just too... It's just too well done. Like, both actors do a phenomenal job, you know? And the vulnerability, obviously, Drew Barrymore, she's a child, you know? She's... It's it's not like in this movie where you have Edie, she's 30 years old, she's playing a high school student, yeah. you know? This is a real kid playing a kid role. And, you know, a lot of the times, there's a whole thing, like, when these kids are playing the roles, some of the kids are annoying. Like, you get annoyed by the kid, you know, you're like, ah... I never felt that way in that movie. I just felt such, like, sadness and, like, for the father-daughter relationship and the strife and, you know, being pulled away from her dad and these people are just out to for her powers and don't really give a crap about her. And it's just, the whole thing is just fucking just so damn sad. Like, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I, I haven't seen it in a long time. But it does um, make me very sad. Unlike this movie, which this movie, I'm just waiting. You're just waiting, I feel like, the whole moment for her to, like, lose her shit. I wish I would have seen her. And I think in the remake with Chloe, she, not that she goes down in the town. You saw that one, right? Doesn't I didn't she, see that one. I think there is a bit of destruction. Um, she might go into the town more on that one, but I haven't seen that one. I saw the one back at the Brian Fuller one when it aired, but it's been a long time. Do you think, um, does he like this movie? Does Mr. King like this adaptation? Because we oh, all Carrie, know yeah, he, he does. doesn't like The Shining. He's not <laughs> shy about telling you when he doesn't like it, unless they put a fat check in front of him. I'm, I I'm sure if they put a big enough check, he's quite... Because he just said nice things about the new Pet Cemetery, The mm. Pet Cemetery prequel. I'm like, ooh, that was a big check. Because that's Yeah, because be... you can't... Because one, you can't say it's terrible. It's your fucking... Like, it's your writing. Like, it's your... It's your Even novel. the children of the corn things, he stays pretty quiet about. He's just kind of like, yeah, they're not mine. That first movie was fine, but I sold the rights to it. It's one of those things where as long as they keep making one every so often, they get to keep the rights. I think it's every five years they have to make one. Wow. So, yeah, that's why you'll see a remake of that every five years, so they'll keep the rights to it so they can keep cranking them out. It's never... There's just some films that you could just... You never could get that magic back. Yeah. And once you've seen it and you've experienced it in the time frame that it was released, everything else that comes after is never going to be... It's In your eyes, it's never going to match. That's rare for it to happen. I mean, there's just... We've talked about a handful of remakes that... Uh, you know, have come to be that are actually better than the original or as good. The other thing I will say about that, and I haven't seen the movie to judge the whole movie, but I do think that, like, Chloe Grace Moretz was a good choice to play Carrie. She's actually young, you know, she's not 25. She's actually, like, 15 playing 
uh, I think in this one they lowered her age a little bit, a 15-year-old playing a 15-year-old. So it's always good when they have people that are age-appropriate playing them, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, even though the people weren't age-appropriate in the 76, Carrie, it was the 70s. Everyone looked old. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, that's the way people look. Yeah, it's like that meme where they're like, you always thought the guy on Sanford and Son, Red Fox, you thought he was 65 years old, but he was only 45 when he was doing that show. Exactly. You know, and then times were rough. Like, people just aged, you know, differently, and they looked older back then than compared to now. Yeah. So, and I'm, I mean, I guess it's fine. You're right about the whole Chloe thing. I just, I don't care to revisit it. I've already seen it, so yeah. I don't need to see a remake of it. I already gave my life away to that Black Christmas remake, which is fucking terrible. And let me tell you, I The most recent one. The most recent one, I'm sorry. The, the most Xmas recent one. The fine. Yeah, Black Xmas is freaking excellent. Love it. But this <laughs> recent one, and it's not about... Any of the things that people would say, oh, it's because of this. It was just terrible writing. My favorite part of that remake that they just did of Black Christmas was where they were just walking through. And it's a long shot of them just walking through. And you could tell they just added dialogue in. Yeah, it's bad. They're just like, oh, so you can't see our mouth move or anything. So we're just going to have some uh, exposition here talking about witches and cults and everything as we walk toward the one, one building to the other. And you're like, oh, great. That wasn't ADR put in later. Anything, was it? Every review mentioned that. They were like, yeah, that was a weird just exposition dump they had there, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't good. The, the whole movie. And let me tell you, I love me some Carrie Elvis, but he could not save that movie. It was nah. just not going to happen at all. It was just not, not, not a thing. But so I don't really need to see another Carrie of remake there's nothing better than the original just like children of the corn like that opening scene like and it's one of those things because you hadn't been exposed to that yet like it's not like the horror movies yeah they were out there but now it's like 20 of them come out a day you know compared to like back in the day it wasn't as much and it was a lot of crap you know that came out it was gems that came out were few and far between. But when you saw, like, that, even today, I'm still like, oh, my gosh. Like <laughs> When the kids just go full-on murder time. Yes, and the diner, like, that diner scene is classic. Like, classic. And it you can never, you can never gain that magic again. Because I already saw it. I It's already been done, yeah. you know? Um, it, it's Stephen King. I can't think of another author that has had as many film adaptations that are good um that film adaptations whether it be good or bad but his work is just gonna live on forever like all of his novels have you know a multitude of themes in them they you can relate to them in one way or another obviously there's a lot of you know ones with children there's all different kinds of fears i mean he just has cornered so much of it, you know, and this all came from his brain, drugged and undrugged, you know, like, wow, to, yeah. like, if I, it was like a being John Malkovich moment where I could just, like, get in there, like, what the hell would I see? It's like in um, um, Dreamcatcher, when he has that room with all the the cabinets in it, his mind palace. His, yes. Oh, I love that. I. It's just so freaking classic. But yes, 
obviously that was Stephen King's way of saying, yeah, that's my brain. Like, that's literally how my mind is. And I'm just going to pull up this one file with this memory, you know, or this thing over here. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me how much material, how much, and a lot of the things, I mean, I may be wrong, but I don't feel like it's like redundant. Like, in the characters and stuff, obviously there's characters that have, you know, if you're all, they're all living in Castle Rock, there's going to be, you know, specific ones there, or you have some characters that go in and out, but it's not like, oh gosh, like, you know, I I don't feel that way when, and I haven't read, obviously, every single thing like you have. I'm not a constant reader, Um, but I've read, I've read some, you know, I had to get through that. Man, I had to get through that Shining. That was rough. Because I I could not read, you know, Dr. Sleep. I was like, I was adamant. I was like, I could not read Dr. Sleep until I read The Shining. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, because The Shining is like a lot of history of the curtains in that place. Which I understand. The furnace. Yeah, I understand he's trying to build atmosphere. But I feel like we could have cut that atmosphere down a little bit in there. And it would have been fine. It, it's 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 intense. I feel like maybe maybe a couple of lines of like, oh, this hotel has some interesting haunting history or some shit. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, you know, the evil's embedded in these walls. Like, I get it because everything was evil. Like, oh, the the topperaries, whatever the fuck they're called. The, the yeah. topperaries outside were evil. The furnace had a history. The red curtains in the room, you know, 203 were evil like it was just like oh my goodness How, first of all i feel like you just need to do a great interior design you know redo the whole place to get rid of all these evil wallpapers and fucking curtains well, they did, i think he did another like short story that they turned into a movie that 1408 and samuel jackson in the movie just tells you like the history of the room in like five minutes and it's one of those great like he just tells you in five minutes that the room is fucking evil and you should stay out of it and got John Cusack's like, nah, I'm still going to stay. And he's like, all right, you're lost. But yeah, you get the whole like rundown of that room in five minutes of like, oh yeah, this place is fucked up. We should not go in here. So we've dedicated this month to Stephen King. Yes. Our next episode, we will be discussing The Dead Zone. My first time watching the film, because I have a fear of young looking Christopher Walken because he freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll be covering that, and it's going to be so much fun. (laughs) So this one, of course, we're giving it four skulls, I assume. We're going to give it four four knives, knives. yes. Skulls, I was looking at skulls on the TV here. Skulls or knives, whatever, it gets all of them. Because this movie, not only is it classic, it is... I I don't want to say one of the Palma's best films, but it it's it's up there. It's certainly one of the ones that put him on the map for sure. And you know, everyone in it did an amazing job. No matter how small their role was, everyone's role was just they they just act the shit out of it. Yeah. And you know, it's memorable, and it's gonna live on forever. You know, and like you said, it's it those theme the theme of. You know, being the outcast. Being bullied. Being bullied, you know, uh, going through the change. That's part of why it is so successful, too, because it's the kids that are the losers. They're they're, they're being bullied. They're being picked on. They don't fit in with the others. Stephen King knows a lot about that. Yeah. 
funny how they saved the town. Yeah. And, you know, probably so many children and dairy. <laughs> um, minus the turtle and the other weird stuff that happens. But, yes. <laughs> what the fuck, Stephen King? What the fuck? <laughs> well, we all know the weirdest part of the It novel. <laughs> but, yes. Um, I, I really enjoyed um, covering this film. Or watching it again. Because yeah. it's one of those, you know, ones you should at least revisit every couple of years. We'll be back soon with our next episode covering David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. Yeah, we've covered a lot of Cronenberg movies, too. We do have a lot of... We're Cronenberg fans. It's one of those, like, I'm not going to go out and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a fan. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't deny that I do like me some Cronenberg, even though this, it's very disturbing. The Dead Zone may be the most normal movie he ever made. It is definitely the most normal movie he's ever made. I concur with this. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us in another episode of Jump Scare the Horror Podcast. Stay tuned to the king. To the horror. (laughs) All hail the king. All hail the king. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.